Our teaching text today is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Put on the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is God's word which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's peace, people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be able, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known that the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The word of the Lord. What a reader. Luke is, uh, that's my son, second oldest son. And uh, he, um, everyone keeps telling him because he never, he's always in athleisure, uh, which is a type of clothing. Um, if you're, if you're looking for comfortable stuff to wear that you can also spring into sports at any given moment, that's normally Luke's um, outfit. But today he's got a suit on and everyone keeps coming up and saying, Luke, you look really nice. And his, instead of saying thank you or yeah, I picked this out, he's like, my mom made me wear this. <laughs> so I don't know. Do, do with that what you will. We're, uh, we're on this second to last uh, of this uh, series of uh, on prayer that we've been in since the beginning of the year, uh, the season of epiphany that the church celebrates where we say, okay, we've waited throughout Advent for Christ to come, and now Christ has arrived. All the promises that go with, with who Jesus is, how on earth should we live if Jesus really is who he said he is? And I didn't realize in a room this size, or some of you who would ha- have a lot of issue with that wouldn't be necessarily ready to say, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. But, but as, as a church, and, 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 uh, even though we're meeting in a middle school, we, we are a church and we're saying, we want to ask that question. How should we live if Jesus really is who he says he is? And one of the most profound and important answers to that is that we should be in conversation with God, <laughs> that, uh, we should be regularly communicating. We should, uh, you know, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do the things that Jesus did. And none of that is possible without prayer. So that's been a theme. We've been looking at how prayer changes us, how prayer changes the world, and just really asking God uh, um, for these last two weeks, where where are the places like really and truly? Like we could we could talk about practical tips for prayer. We could talk more about, we've talked a lot about the theology and the why of prayer, but um, I just had a sense that um, maybe for this week, what we need to hit um, is is a real honest assessment of where 
where our heart's at and why we quit uh, when it comes when it comes to prayer. So that's, that's where we're headed. And just, there's a million of these, um, inspiring prayer stories. But one that I really love is, uh, I'm going to call it the Moody 100. And this is not a hundred people that you wouldn't want to be around. Uh, some of you guys have heard of the guy DL Moody. Anybody heard of him before? Okay. So he was, uh, he became one of the most influential evangelists of the last century. And, uh, one of the, Parts of his story I love is that he was just sort of a regular preacher. He was from Chicago. He was a shoe salesman. Um, he had a vocational calling from God to go into the ministry, and things weren't going terribly well, quite frankly. And he came on a trip to to New York, and two old church ladies at some meeting apprehended him. And uh, Dale Moody describes this basically that they prayed for him, and they they said, "Your sermons are fine, but they don't have any power." And, uh, which is a nice thing to hear. Um, I love that encouragement. If you're just going to bring that after the service. Um, and they laid hands on him and prayed that he would be anointed with power. And Moody describes a sense of the presence of God falling on him in that moment like he had never experienced before. And he said he went back and he preached the same sermons. He was a traveling evangelist. He preached the same sermons, which I really wish I could travel more and just preach the same sermon because that would be great. But anyway, he preached the same stuff. And the results were entirely different. Like, uh, it was like an awakening and a revival was taking place. People were coming to faith in Christ. People were having their faith renewed. People were experiencing healing. The, the kingdom of God was breaking out and D.L. Moody was, was used powerfully by God. And, and, and for all that, like, that's the sort of thing that, that gets you celebrated in the American church. Those types of results. Let's get this guy a conference. How did you do it? We'll take this to our church and we'll do it too. Well, Two old church ladies apprehended him and prayed for him, and he just received anointing from God. So good luck replicating that. But also, the quiet parts of D.L. Moody's life, I think, are really inspiring in that, in that he, he carried a list um, in his pocket. Every day of his adult life, he carried a list of a 100 names in his pocket, friends of his who did not know God, who hadn't experienced uh, intimacy, connection, faith in God the way he had, had been apprehended by his love the way he had. When he died, he prayed every single day for those hundred people. When he died, how many do you think? Somebody like a hundred is a prayer series. Uh, 96. 96. That's pretty good results. 96 of his friends of the hundred had had profound life changing encounters with, with the grace of God had come to believe the gospel. That's, that's amazing. But at his funeral, the other four came in, folks. They were so moved by his, his funeral service that they uh, also committed their life to God. So total 100% results. That's the type of prayer series this is. I want to say this to you. I, I sat in church my entire my entire life. Nine months before I was born, I was coming Monday or uh, Wednesday, Sundays, all of it. I don't have any trouble getting inspired. I hear a story like D.L. Moody. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to meet a hundred people, and then I'm going to write their names down and carry their their list in my pocket. And I'm going to pray pray for them every day. Like some of you, even in this series, like we've we've had a couple of really practical challenges. Uh, incorporate a new prayer practice in your life that you haven't before before this this year. Um, find three things that God's particularly put on your heart that are passions that you want to press into and pray and sort of like, I want to keep knocking on the door and asking God to do something. I mean, we've even asked some of you to, to, to pick out a few names of people that you love, that you would like to see God move in their life. And some of you have already, and we're, we're only six weeks into the series, some of you have already experienced failure in that. Some of you have already kind of given up on, on, on praying. I find that it's really easy to get inspired to pray, but it is hard to keep going. 
Very practically, I, w- I would say one of the easiest things to do when it comes to prayer is to quit. <laughs> and I think many of you will, will, will know <laughs> what that's like. I want to give you a, a, an encouraging moment from my house this week. Um, sometimes when I'm working on something and my head or my heart is, feels like it's absolutely full, um, I will sigh. And so I'll just be sitting there and it's like my head needs a vent or my heart needs a vent. So I'm just sitting there in my chair or on the couch or at the table and I just go, <sighs> and I promise you, I'm not fishing for anyone to ask me how I'm doing. I just am venting my heart. I'm just like, un- you know, nonverbal expression of release. That's it. I just, I just sigh. And so this is a bit of a challenge for Allison. So this is how, this is, I wrote this out as a script. So I'll do me and then I'll do her. So deep sigh. <sighs> What's the matter? What do you mean? You just sighed like the world was ending. Oh yeah, nothing. Uh, just, just working on the sermon. Okay. Then there's a long pause usually. And then I say, I just thought I would have grown more in my own prayer life as we've been in this prayer series. And this is Allison's moment where she chooses deep encouragement. And she says, you thought just because you were teaching about prayer, you would magically get better at praying. <laughs> I'm not saying I would be a monk in six weeks, but yes, some growth would be nice. And then she says, I don't think that's how it works. And then in my mind, I say this. What do you know about how it works? You think, <laughs> you think it's easy to teach this stuff? You know, Seinfeld said that public speaking consistently ranks higher as people's greatest fear than death. So that means if you're at the funeral, it's better to be in the casket than giving the eulogy. That's what I think in my head. But all she hears is, <sighs> deep, deep sigh. So, I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I have something of all or nothing thinking in my mind. And so like, I'm the person who will make the DL Moody list of a hundred and tuck it in my pocket. And for six days, I will hammer away at praying for every list, everyone on the list. And then on the seventh and eighth day, when I miss, then I'm like, that's it. And I tear up the list. I'm never praying for those people again. Forget this. Like there's something about specifically with prayer where I just like, it's, it's challenging to, to bounce back. And so I want to say to you, uh, The whole heart of this message is just this. Don't give up. Don't give up. If you have made commitments already and you haven't kept them as consistently as you wanted, if you have people that you want to pray for and you haven't been praying, guess what? You can do it right now. You can tune me out and start praying right now. You can pray later today. You can pray at any any point. Like You can begin becoming the person you want to be right, right this very minute. And I just want to, I want to call you away from some of the all or nothing thinking that I can fall into really easily when I, when I fall off because the easiest thing in the world to do with prayer is to quit. You know this uh, experience where, uh, you, you never see a particular type of car and then you get that car and then you see it everywhere. We have a Honda and before we got this Honda, I never saw this car at all. And now like seven people on our block have it and three of them have the same luggage carrier that we have. So I will reg- I, like, get all the way to the car and like, tr- wrong car. Like this happens to me. You see, you see this as, as we've been studying, pr- this is a fantastic illustration. You're going to want to journal about this later. As we've been studying prayer, I've been noticing it in places that I never, I never picked up on it being before. And one, and one of them is this Ephesians 6 passage. Like this is one of the classic, this is like one of the first memory verses that you're going to get in, in, ch- in children's ministry. If you grow up in church, this is a really familiar, famous passage. Put on the full armor of God. 
And I've, I've, I've read this passage. I've listened to this passage. I've heard this passage taught on many times in my life. I just want to go, go through it with you. Listen, listen to this. I realize that like some of the war metaphors in the scripture may be challenging for you to, 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 to access, but whatever else is happening here, it seems like the person is being outfitted for some serious level of conflict. And, 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 um, so, so it says, put on the belt of truth and, you know, this belt of truth in, in, in sort of the, the, the ancient warrior clothing that's being described here would, would hold together all the loose strands of, of, of the, of the robes. And, and when it came time to fight, you would sort of gird up your loins. You would tuck in the, 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 the skirt part that, that dangled around your feet so that you were ready to move freely, so that you were ready. It sort of held the whole thing together. You have the belt of truth that pulls all the threads together. You have the breastplate of righteousness, right? This is a guard for your heart. If you're going to go into conflict that's physical or spiritual, you have to have protection for your vital organs. And the breastplate of righteousness we know in the gospel is not that like we have this strong outer covering of all of our achievements or, or our moral will. We have the covering of our Redeemer, of, of, of Christ. The, the breastplate of righteousness is that we are covered with, with, um, with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Then having the shoes of the, of the gospel of peace. What on earth is that? It's having a, a willingness that your feet would go forward into the real places of your, of your life as a messenger of hope. That you would be somehow, even in a pluralistic city like ours, that you would be unashamed to identify with Christ and be a message, a messenger of, 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 of hope and of the gospel. The shield of faith, right? This movable, um, you know, item in the armor that you can use to extinguish fiery darts that like when you're attacked physically or spiritually that, that you, that you have something to, 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 to resist the shield of faith to, to what are we doing there? We're holding on to the promises of God despite our moods, despite our circumstances, despite what might be coming against us. Then the helmet of salvation, right? The blessed, the breastplate of righteousness to guard our heart, the helmet of salvation to guard our minds. Like over and over again, like the depths of spiritual renewal in the New Testament are described as a renewal of your mind. It's, it's the, the things that you want begin to change. The things that you think begin to change. And, and from the inside out, you're transformed to be more and more like Christ. And then the sword of the spirit, right? You've, many of you have heard this a million times. The only offensive weapon in the group, right? To fight back is to take up the promises of God. Second Peter one says, think about this, says that when you take hold of the promises of God and live as if they're true, that somehow you're participating in God's nature, (laughs) that actually the very character and life of God is taking hold in you, in your life when you live as if God's promises are true. So the sword of the spirit, the word of God, there it is. Whole armor of God, belt of truth, Bless, breast, that's so hard to say. I keep saying bless plate. Breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel, peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. So what is this person being outfitted for? Like seeing a Honda on my block a hundred times. I've read this so much and I didn't notice. The next part is prayer. All this outfit is for charging out in the world and making a difference, seeing the kingdom come, like fin- finally, you know, like pushing back on your attackers and, 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 and it's for, it's for the closet. It's armor for the closet. It's spiritual armor so that you can pray, so that you can regularly talk and listen to God because the easiest thing in the world to do when it comes to prayer is to quit. 
So take up the armor, take up the resources of heaven for continuing in this spiritual struggle, this spiritual conflict. And what will be the result of you continuing? You'll talk to God and you'll hear God talk back to you. And in this talking and listening, the, the scriptures will call it abiding, in this connection of intimate relationship, the fruit of the things of the kingdom, the, th- the things that you're longing that you would go out with all your willpower and might and best intentions to accomplish will begin to happen. Why? Because you prayed. Like Jesus, most like one of his most crucial teachings to his closest friends in John 15, abide in me, let my words abide in you communicate with me, pour out your heart to me, let me pour out my heart to you, do the things I say, and what will happen is the the sap of the life of God will flow through you and it will produce the fruit. What type of fruit? Fruit of character? The fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the things that are true about God's character will be true of ours. Fruit of relationships that we'll have like D.L. Moody type stories where we show the love of God to someone and they were drawn into the kingdom. Fruit of renewal where we push back against racism or, or, or injustice or some brokenness in our city and the fruit of the kingdom of God was expressed and the powerful, gotta be fully armored way that this is gonna happen. Prayer. Armor for the closet. This is what comes right after that list of armor. Pray on all occasions. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, right? We said at the beginning um, of this series, not to stress about all the ways that you're not able to pray, but to pray the ways that you can. Be alert and always keep keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Right? Really likely that Paul is is writing this this, uh, epistle from prison. And he's saying, The most essential thing that you can do for me is not to write a letter to the governor. It's not to come and bring me supplies. It's not to violently break in, put on the armor of God and and, and fight for me to be released. The most important thing that you could do for me, put on the full armor of God and go into your closet and intercede. Pray for me. Pray. That my fear would be tamped down so that instead I could show love, right? This powerful theme the New Testament repeats to us that his perfect love casts out fear. We see that declared in 1 John, but we see it demonstrated all throughout the New Testament. Pray that I, pray that I would have the words to say. This is the Apostle Paul, right, who writes most of the New Testament and needs the words to say, needs the, the courage to keep going. So I do this, right? I imagine myself accomplishing something. I could write this. If we could organize this, if we could, do, if we could do that. I mean, I shared with you guys from the very beginning of this, this series, one of these deep convictions the Lord put on my heart is that for much of the life of our church, we've contended with the wrong things. We've contended with strategy. We've contended with trying to rally people to particular needs. We've contended with um, all sorts of things, but we haven't yet as a church. And some of us are, are, are making a real effort at doing this together, but we haven't learned to contend in prayer. The armor of God for your closet of prayer. God wants you to know I've deployed the resources of heaven so that you won't give up talking and listening to me. 
I want to give you three quick scenes from Jesus' life. I'm not going to go into tons of, of detail. These, some of these will be familiar scenes for you, but I just, I want to make this as, as, as clear as possible. This is as, as robust of a, uh, sort of, 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 of momentum coming from the heart of God around prayer is, is, as I think there is. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, we have two examples of him turning over the tables. You know this story? It's the one time Jesus supposedly loses his temper and he's flipping over the tables. Somehow he's controlled enough that he makes his own whip of cords um, before he does this, which I always find fascinating. Like, how have you ever, like, lost your temper and then made a craft? Um, and then gone, you know, gone and gotten the people with it? Um, this is what he does. He, he, he flips over the table. And what is he so upset about? What's the, the highlight? Do you remember why he's so angry? He says, you've made my father's house a den of robbers. My father's house should be called a what? A house of prayer. He's so upset because the temple, this place where God's presence is supposed to reside, is not being used as a house of prayer. So it means that people are traveling for, for several, some of them for several weeks. An agricultural society, some of them have carefully selected, maybe in a family process, their, their very best lamb or doves or whatever, and they've traveled weeks in a caravan with other families down to observe the festival in Jerusalem. And they arrive at the temple and they press through the throng and they get up there and they present and the, and the priests are there inspecting. And they look at this sheep or this dove and they say, really, this is what you brought? And they look at the teeth and say, a little old, don't you think? And they look at the fur and say, a little shabby, like, listen, we can't really have this sheep coming in. They've traveled the whole way, this family. This is the best they have. And the sheep says, listen, or the sheep, the priest says, listen, we, we, we well, wasn't that crazy, huh? Um, says, listen, we, we happen to sell the, the type of animal that you need right inside the gate here. So they come in, they charge, as soon as you cross the threshold, the price is 10 times higher than it would be out. And so they're, they're, they're gouging these worshipers who are coming. And they've created a system by which they gain power and they gain money and they gain prestige. And, and what happens? People are, their, their hope is reduced. They're, they're, they're deeply disappointed. They're, they're wounded. They're extorted. And they're also not praying. <laughs> So Jesus comes, and this is an interesting thing. The Gospel of John records this story twice. It's in all the Gospels. So that means it's a story we're really supposed to see. And either it happens twice, and so the uh, John, an eyewitness of Jesus' life, says, I want you to, to see that Jesus did this twice, which would make it paramount importance. Like, what, what miracles or, or episodes do you see happening twice? Look at them. There aren't many. Or he's saying, listen, this thing happened, but I want you to, I want to put it at the front of Jesus' ministry and at the end of Jesus' ministry, because I want you to see everything that he was doing was help, it was trying to help people truly connect with Yahweh in this way. And he was willing to flip over tables and shed his own blood to make it possible. My house will be called a house of prayer. The second thing I want to show you is a scene where Jesus is with his closest friends. Like, that's a very public setting. Jesus is with his closest friends and they say, teach us to pray. We've looked at your life. We've looked at your ministry. We see the miracles. We see the teaching. And you know what we want to learn? Teach us to pray. Teach us to commune with Yahweh, the Father, the way you do. And so he teaches them the model prayer. He teaches them the Lord's prayer that we know. And then he gives it a story. Right after saying that there's there's this uh, everlasting heart of God that's beating for us, that wants to meet our needs, that wants to forgive us our sins, that wants to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Then he tells a story of this friend coming late at night. You remember this? And the friend knocks on the door 
And he says, listen, this is like in the Middle Eastern uh, culture of hospitality in this time, it would have been a tragedy of utter humiliation to have guests come to your house and not have something to present to him. So this friend comes to the house and he's knocking in the middle of the night and he's saying, listen, listen, someone's come. I need you to give me bread. I need you, I need you to help, help me provide for them. Like as a community, we're on the hook to provide for this person. You know the story, the guy calls from inside the house. I'm in bed with my kids. I'm definitely not getting up. I'm sorry, I can't help you. And it says, not because they're friends, but because of their shameless audacity. The person just keeps knocking. Boom, 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 keeps knocking. The friend gets up and provides for them. This is Luke chapter 11, if you want to read the story. It's a story of persistence. And I love that phrase, shameless audacity. So we have to take the metaphors together. Or, or the teaching together. This is something that happens in the New Testament all the time. You'll have five different word pictures for the same thing. Any one of them is insufficient on its own, and all of them together say the reality we're describing transcends language, but we've just heard that the everlasting Father wants you to present all of your needs before him, and then the next picture is like, is he grumpy laying inside saying, I'm not going to help you unless you keep knocking? That's the picture. So what do we do with that? I think God is, 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 wants us to know very clearly your father's heart is loving and generous and wants to provide for you. He collects your prayers in bowls. He, he's, 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 he's longing to show you love and mercy to provide not just the things you want, but the things you need. But there's going to be times in your life when you pray and the experience is going to be like knocking on a door and no one comes. Let me prepare you for the reality of the world for the reality of internal and external resistance in the world, there's going to be times where you knock on the door in prayer and it's going to feel like no one's coming. Don't give up on prayer. This is what I turn the tables over for. This is what, and the last one, this is what I go to the cross for, Gethsemane. This famous scene of Jesus praying with his closest friends after they shared the Last Supper. And Jesus is, says, is so anxious, is so full of trepidation that he's sweating drops of blood. His friends keep falling asleep on him. And what is he praying for? He's praying for the willingness to go forward with suffering for our redemption, literally forgiving his life. Whatever happens on, on the cross, on Calvary, the struggle for it is one in Gethsemane, where Jesus is sweating drops of blood and he's, and he's saying like the most honest prayer you could possibly imagine. Hey, I know we're all the way here but maybe there's some other way this could happen, right? Theologians and philosophers and regular old folks, right? We've turned that story over a million times thinking about the son of God, right? He's come for this purpose. He's right on the verge of it happening. He's turning it over saying, there's gotta be some other way. So if you get right to the moment and you, you think, gosh, I'd like to quit. Well, you're in there with Christ and he shows us a way forward, which is to cry out for help. When you want to give up, and you're going to want to give up, cry out for help. And when you come and you ask for your friends, and they're asleep, and you're deeply disappointed in the community of faith, and you're like, everyone's letting me down, and no one understands, just continue to cry out. Basically, like, whatever you do, keep going. <laughs> in the Ephesians passage, it says, after you've done everything, stand not run, not fight, not climb the mountain, not be the hero. Just like stand, just don't quit. Persevere. And those who make it to the end will be saved. There is an element of perseverance that God promises in our salvation. There's a, a Dutch priest, uh, Henry Nouwen, who's 
among other things, famous for giving up a really prestigious uh, Ivy League teaching assignment to go and work in obscurity amongst the mentally handicapped. And uh, he was describing the process of his own transformation regarding prayer. And he, he was planning to do 30 days alone with God in prayer. And he was surprised to find that he was a priest who dedicated his life to helping other people, but he became really anxious and apprehensive about the idea of being alone with God with nothing to do. He said, maybe I should read another book on prayer. Maybe I need to hear another sermon about prayer. Maybe I need to write down my thoughts about, about prayer. Maybe I literally should do anything except pray. And many of you will experience this. Whether it's internal resistance or spiritual resistance in the world, you'll come to prayer and your mind will just fly with distractions. You'll think of 85 things that have to be done. Like as soon as you actually go to the moment where you're going to, to, to try and pray, it will be tremendously hard. On the other, on the other side of this, this one month alone with God, Nalan said this. We are afraid that the God who says he loves us will prove in the end to be more demanding than loving. I am convinced that's the real reason we pray so little. It's fear. I just want to ask you to search your heart. Is the God that you have an image of in your mind more demanding than loving? Like you're imagining the thing that God's going to share with you when you go to him in prayer are all the ways that you need to improve and get at it now, please. Many of us really struggle with a God who we fundamentally think is, is disappointed with us in some way. And that would be the first thing that he mentions. But I think you'll find when you press in to even talking with people who have more experience in prayer than you, who have had experiences of the presence of God, many of them will say how surprising it was that the first thing they heard was that God loved them, that he delighted in them, that he embraced them. And it is from that place where fear and pride begin to shrink that God is actually moving because he wants us to be motivated by love. A God who is love in his very being. Have you ever had the experience that when you haven't talked to someone in a while, you can do one of two things? You can either make them much worse than they are or much better than they are. I find that I tend towards the much worse version, especially if my last interaction with the person wasn't fantastic. I can villainize them. So you imagine like, I don't know what that tone was the last time we talked, but I run away and I think about it. I haven't talked to them in seven days, but I'm imagining that what they're thinking is all negative thoughts about me. And I can construct this mountain of resentment. And then sometimes I come back into conversation with them and I realize the thing that I've concocted is so far away from what they're actually experiencing and it evaporates in a moment. The same thing can happen on the other side, right? You've ever been like sort of semi-infatuated and maybe in love with someone and then you go away for, for, for like, I had an experience where I was apart from someone that I was, I was dating for a, for a while. This was not Allison and it didn't end well. Um, but I, I just like made up in my mind that she was the greatest thing that had ever happened. And like for, for the time I was, I, I was out of, out of the, out of the state. I was imagining all these wonderful things about her and writing them down. It was like the most poetic I've ever been in my journals, da da da. And I come back and she's like cheating on me with my friend. Why did you tell that story? I honestly don't know why I told that story. <laughs> Maybe I subconsciously need to process something with you, fear of betrayal. I don't know. Um, but I came back into conversation and I realized the reality that I had construction was entirely, was entirely false. And this can happen with God, right? We, we, we cannot be talking to God 
not regularly communicated. So we imagine that he's grumpy, that he's storming around, that, that he, he's got a lot to answer for in the suffering of this world. And we're not actually having any conversations with God, but we're making a lot of conclusions about God. Or we can sort of, sort of let God become saccharine and sugar and sweet. And, 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 and he's just basically like, uh, you know, he, he's on, on a Hallmark card somewhere out there in reality. And all he wants to do is bless us. And he's just our eternal life coach who, who wants nothing more than, than everything that happens across our mind, right? And it's not until we actually get into the meat of communication with God that we can stop villainizing or sanitizing him and allow God to truly be God. When we pray, we put ourselves in the place to experience God and to share his ways in the world. I want to say this to you. Here are things that happen when you pray. You experience friendship. I was sitting with one of our students who's going to be baptized this month or next month, actually, uh, this this week talking about you know his experience of God and uh, we we kept talking about how when you're you know in sixth or fifth or sixth grade and and you're making friends with people and there's that experience kind of where like you do this when you're really young where you kind of had the friendship DTR with someone you're like we've been playing it's like do you want to be friends with me and then they have the opportunity to say yes or no right and essentially like <laughs> that's what happens like like you've known about like I'm telling this this kid like you've known about God and your parents have talked to you about God but you kind of f- f- came to the place where you said I want to be friends with God for me I want to know, want to know God. And, and as we're talking about the way you cultivate that, the rest of your life is in prayer. This talking and listening grows friendship, but it also does the work of formation. God, by his spirit, begins to make us like him in prayer. We take hold of his promises. We, we act as if they're true, and we begin to see that they are true, and his character begins to be formed in us. And then we have the next step, which is participation. Show me what you're like and fill me with your love and lead me in, in, in the world to do the things that you do, to join all the way in. The most succinct way that I've heard it said, the way I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling this to myself is, be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do the things Jesus did. The fuel of each of these is prayer. The heart and mission of our church is this right here. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do the things that Jesus did. As Jesus is turning the kingdom of God over to his closest friends, and he's saying, you're going to take this from here to your close neighbors, to your far neighbors, to the very ends of the earth. Teach them to do the things I've taught you to do. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is where the church gets its mission. This is where the church gets all of its coherence. And it breaks down to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And none of that goes forward without prayer. Please, don't give up on prayer. Allison and I have a phrase in our our home called, uh, don't shoot the tires. And it just means this. If you're driving along and you get a flat tire, you, you get out and fix the tire. You don't get out and shoot the other three which is kind of my tendency. It's like flat tire, fine. (laughs) Done. Never praying again. Waste of time anyway. So whatever it is, right? The tire's gone flat, right? Because of fear or because of lack of discipline or because of things are just pressing in uh, or because, right, you've created some human system like what's going on in the temple and it's working for you. Like you feel powerful, you're getting the resources you need. Where do I need God and all? I don't need God to make this messy. Jesus will come flip the tables over in that situation. Or maybe it's just like shameless audacity. I, 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 got, I know that God's heart is for me. I'm gonna keep pressing in. 
I find there's a lot of things that make the tires go flat, right? You can have guilt. I don't want to approach God because I feel like there's this sin that I'm not ready even necessarily to deal with. And so I've got to deal with it before I come to God. Or there's defiance. God, you didn't come through in this way and this way and this way. And I'm not talking to you anymore until you answer for this. Or apathy. It's just like, yeah, I'm sure God's out there somewhere, but I have three episodes behind on True Detective. So I don't know. Next week, I'll pray. Or distraction, or, or maybe the, the way to say it is addiction. Like there's just things that we've come to use to cope and to comfort ourselves in the world, and they aren't God, and we've gotten so used to them, and even though they're not terribly satisfying, they're there. Don't shoot the tires. Whatever's caused a tire to go flat, get out, identify it, and fix the tire. Don't shoot the other three. We have to, as a church, no matter how many sermons we have on it, what we really have to do is break the habit of not praying. It's not enough to have the idea. We have to have the practice. This is the last thing I'll say. Alpha's coming up after Easter. One simple thing that you could do is just pray right now that God would identify a few people in your life that you could, you could tangibly invite to Alpha. Like, can you imagine, like, this isn't going to happen probably, but can you imagine, like, getting to the, the new heavens and the new earth and being like, Go, you know, like just strolling by and Jesus is like, hey, just come out here for one second. Like, all you had to do was invite someone to Alpha. Why didn't you do that? And you're just like, I don't know. I'm so sorry. I shot the tires and you keep moving on to like whatever the ultimate Frisbee game you were going to in heaven. That was a bit of a tangent. Let's scratch that from the tape. But here's the thing. How simple is it to pick three names and to pray for them? And then to ask God that he would give you the opportunity to invite one of them to Alpha. It starts the second week after Easter. What if you prayed for those, for those people between now and then, and God used your prayers as full participation in his kingdom coming in their life as it is in heaven? On one of the Alpha videos, there's one, like the fifth one, about how and why we pray. And there's this Benedictine monk in there. And he says these three, these three instructions for prayer. It's the most basic thing you've ever heard, but I, I just think, put it in your journal somewhere, put it on your, ref, your refrigerator. Keep it simple, keep it honest, keep it going. Bring your real heart before God. You don't have to have any kind of special language whatsoever. Just, just say what's really there. Keep it honest and then just keep it going. Just, just don't quit on, on prayer. And then what if God is collecting your prayers like he says? What if he's waiting to give you the things that you're praying for, but he has to wait to give them to you in a way that won't, that won't hurt you? What if prayer really is the engine of spiritual formation? It is the way that we're transformed to be more like Christ. What if it changes the things that you're longing for, even your appetites? You begin to see the things I, I was praying for a year ago have sort of changed shape, and I'm praying for something a little bit different now. Don't give up. Just want to give you this as we close. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, 
Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. This famous spiritual armor of God is armor for the closet. It is armor for prayer. That is how we are with Jesus. It is how we become like Jesus and it is how we do the things Jesus did. God is asking you, and so you have to answer, will you pray? Heavenly Father, I, I do ask that you would um, communicate yourself to us in these next moments by the power of your Spirit. I pray that you would help each of us know the thing that, that you might be trying to heal uh, that's been an impediment to our, our prayer life, whether it's a defiance because of some wound or just a, a distraction and lack of discipline. God, whatever ways that you need to heal us so that we can just continue talking and listening to you, continue believing, taking hold of your promises. I pray that you would teach us to pray as a church, teach us to pray as sons and daughters. I pray that you would lead us, each of us, to know how your Holy Spirit is directing our response this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we almost always give you a few just silent moments of reflection. And I think there's no better way to use, to use them than just to pray. Pray simple, pray honest, uh, but pray in these next moments. And then after we've prayed, Michael's going to invite us to, to worship. I'm going to invite us to the communion table in just a, in just a bit, but... Uh, whatever way the Holy Spirit's leading you to respond, will you please take action on that? Have a few moments of, 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 of silent prayer and then we'll, we'll continue with, with communion.